0: I'm your host, Aaron Groves, and welcome to the Pop Podcast. Hey, 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 guys, and welcome back to the Pop Podcast. I am your host. I hope everyone had a, another fabulous weekend, and I am back in the studio with yet another guest, and I am so happy that she was brought into my life. We met over social media, and this was one of those episodes. I'm going to share about it in a solo episode, but I feel like I've been kind of going through a creative block, but once she got on the podcast, I felt like everything started to make sense, and she just sparked so many ideas in me, and and what I want out of this podcast and going into the future. So I'm so excited. I have the CEO uh, and co-founder of Power to Pitch, Cat Weaver on the podcast. She had built and sold her last company, recognized that her skill set was in pitching and helping people and founders concise their pitch and make it the best possible when going to investors, uh and just being concise. I feel like Her entire story is incredible. She talks about being on Good Morning America and having all of this spotlight, but not feeling truly fulfilled in her job and what she wanted to do, which I think a lot of people can resonate with. We talk about relationships, we talk about dating, finding balance between work, in your personal life, she gives so many tips for those who are wanting to become entrepreneurs, people who are looking to pitch, uh, and just advice on life. I feel like she's so knowledgeable. She has so much tenacity, is so honest. and it's been one of my favorite conversations that I've had in a while. You all will love her. She's one that you will aspire to be. And I am super excited. Let's
1: jump right into it. Wow. That is so interesting it's a it's not like a a bad thing yeah or, or, or that it is bad but he that he's a really private person and i at first thought that he wasn't even gonna so i was under contract four times it was like yeah. i can get into that and whatever but, yeah uh he was a very like to the point total opposite personality of me and just wanted everything super private so it's like all right <laughs> i'll respect that but h- and how did you find him I actively found a buyer. So I always had people tell me, you know, oh, you're not going to sell. It's not worth selling or, you know, just move on to the next thing. But when I was doing that company, I was coaching founders on the side because I won 22 of 23 pitches to fund my first company. So pitching was my superpower without realizing at first. Mm -hmm. FedEx posted my top pitch tips on their YouTube and it went viral. So I had hundreds of founders messaging me. How do you tell your story? You raise capital. What's your fundraising strategy? All those things and so i was coaching founders on the side and it exploded and i realized that i wasn't happy in running the first company as much as i was in coaching founders in that level of impact and i was on good morning america four times like i was doing big things with the company but still felt this level of this isn't me anymore i have other skill sets that i'd like to tap into deeper Mm -hmm. so i found an e-commerce specific broker and i said these are my things they helped you know organize the books source buyers based on my criteria and the works and set up a bunch of meetings and that's how it went. So it wasn't like, oh, I emailed my competitors. Hey, I'm looking or whatever. It was specific individuals looking to acquire businesses and then further grow them.
0: Why did you start your first company?
1: Totally on accident. I like to say I'm a two-time accidental founder. This is... So I started the first company in college. I wanted to go into medicine and then I had my valuables stolen out of my gym locker. So I thought, I don't want to be a fanny pack girl. I had this idea for a wearable wrist wallet. My mom had a bridal store at the time. So I talked to her seamstress and I said, I want this, this and this. And we made our my first prototype right there. And when I ba- went back to school, I had all these people asking me, hey, I want one to go to the gym and bar hop and tailgate. And people were knocking on my dorm room door. Hey, can you make me one of those? So I started making more at our shop and... Totally took off. I was just on Etsy. I had no idea what I was doing. Literally no idea. My investment, my personal investment in the company was a $70 pair of leggings from a TJ Maxx, like an extra large pair because I didn't want to buy a full roll of fabric thinking that this would go anywhere and literally cut out the leggings on, like the piece of the leggings on the fabric to then create the first prototype. And that was my investment, air quote.
0: So it took <laughs> off, and then what did you do after that?
1: I was making them at our bridal store. I would come home on weekends. She taught me how to sew and do all these things, and then I was paying her to help a little bit more. And it was unusual in the sense that – so I was using her sewing machines for free and all the materials, which is yeah. awesome. But then probably not even – a few months after I started the business and you know, slowly starting to build and I was being scrappy – my mom lost her store to a fire. She had her business of 26 years completely burned to the ground. Oh no. All my materials, prototypes, everything, sewing machines I was using for free were all in there. I had no money. I was playing tennis for school. That was my job. I was on scholarship. And so one of my professors said, Hey, you should enter a pitch competition. I was like, What's that? I didn't even know what entrepreneur was at the time. Yeah. And he just said, You, you know, you go up, you talk about your business and what you would do if you won. And no one told me how to structure it. No one told, I was so nervous and nauseous when I actually arrived that I almost left. But I ended up winning the two out of the two pitch opportunities and that was $7,500 to start and rebuild. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And then I got a, found a mentor a, in a non-competitive space who was manufacturing overseas. And they said, we love what you're doing. We'll vet you. Well, because their minimum runs were a hundred thousand pieces a month, I couldn't do that. Yeah, But no way. I didn't have a factory anymore here, and I was—I tried finding U.S., and it was so expensive; like no one was going to pay this mm-hmm. amount. And they were bringing the textile from China anyways, so why would I, you know, go both ways? And they vetted me and brought in my first, you know, thousand-piece batch. Then it was five thousand-piece batch. Then it was ten thousand. And without that mentor, I would not have gone as fast as as I did, but. Then I did one pitch competition after the other, after the other, because I realized these same things worked Mm -hmm. over and over and over again. And it was super exciting.
0: So many people, I mean, I'm sitting here and I'm like, so many people would kind of pay to have those opportunities. What do you think you did differently to attract those opportunities and put yourself in a situation to do a pitch contest and have this business and things just kind of move very quickly for you?
1: Yeah, I was at first. I was pretty burnt out. Like it sounds so easy, you know. You're yeah. gonna go after all these things, but you know, I before I switched to entrepreneurship, I was in taking organic chemistry. I was sleeping four hours a night. I was practicing tennis, and then trying. I was talking to suppliers at n- midnight and one in the morning to figure out these batches because that's when they're up overseas. Yeah, and so I was super exhausted. But I was. I, I made sure that I was. Good with asking for help when I needed it. Mm. I knew I didn't learn anything, so I was open, like actively learning. I'm still. I think I like to think of myself as a lifelong learner. So I'm going to ask anyone and everyone I can. I went after mentors in non-competitive spaces. I engaged with every local startup organization that when I fi- found what out uh, what the word startup was, you know, yeah. I I went and found all those local organizations. I got involved in the entrepreneurship board at the school. They ended up having a budget to fly me to more pitch competitions and do that. So I kept, no one was going to, no one coming to the table and asking me what I needed or what to do. So I actively kept having to ask and put myself out there Mm -hmm. and be okay with the no's. So I think it was, you know, learning and being active in that sense, taking the time and adjust my, like learning to prioritize. That was so big because it was, all right, how much are you going to spend in school? How much are you going to spend on tennis? How yeah. much of running the business? Oh, and then I got to eat dinner. Like, there was, you know, all these things in between where it goes by super fast. So prioritizing, saying yes and no to the right things, which took a lot of time to figure out it yeah. was right or not. And then also being transparent in the process on social media because it was free. And I'd post, hey, you know, I'm at these markets and doing all these things and that helped grow and people share and, you know, getting at first it was little orders from family and friends and the family would tell other family because they thought it was cool. So not being ashamed of, hey, the product isn't perfect, but still open to share it. Mm -hmm. You know, I know that was a lot, but I could talk about, I mean, forever, all these little different parts that added up to the big picture. It wasn't just, you know, one moment or it was absolutely not an overnight success.
0: It's important to understand because we're fast paced. And I think any entrepreneur is always in my mind, moves like at a mile a minute or is trying to achieve this next thing. And that's just one thing I've learned, even with building the podcast, like it just starts off so slow. But I think it's knowing when to capitalize on opportunities and knowing which opportunities to capitalize on. And I think you were so young that you probably. I mean, you had an influx of opportunities, but I think when you're young, you're fighting the battle of age. And I know for me, like I'm only 26, but it's like, oh, you're only 26. Like, what What do you know? And it's like, you're fighting that battle as well as trying to be eager and try to go after things. And it's like, the only way to learn is by doing. There's no other way, especially in entrepreneurship. Like you can read Gina Wickman's books, but it's not going to get you all the knowledge that you need to get something off the ground and really get it moving.
1: Oh, yeah. And even still now with my second company, like I, I love failing at something because then I could check off that box of, hey, that didn't work. Now I can go try Mm -hmm. something else. And that was so important to not get discouraged because, you know, yeah, it sounds awesome that I won all these pitches, but it was you didn't see me behind the scenes practicing 100 plus times to the point where. I could blurt it out anywhere and my parents were sick of hearing it because it was the same thing over and over again. So there's there's all those behind the scenes moments that happen, too. And, you know, sometimes I would take on opportunities and meetings and I'm like, why did I just waste all this time? Or how did I spend all this money? And then my parents are questioning, hey, is this really a good idea? You could get a great job somewhere. Yeah. You know, and that's always in the back of your mind is this is crazy. (laughs)
0: What's an early failure or mistake that you made in your first business that
1: you feel led you down a better path? Ooh, tricky question. I've never been asked that question. (laughs) I'm going to give you one, a different maybe answer to this. It's maybe not as direct and I can go back to it, but Uh, it's an interesting, maybe like towards the end kind of concept is, so I, I developed this one neck gaiter product and I spent so much money on the initial when, you know, COVID had hit, I was like, Oh, I'm gonna invent this patent this face mask and I made the filter so big and I didn't test it as long because I thought, you know, everyone's making masks. I wanted to get there out so quickly mm-hmm. and it was never gonna be perfect. But I brought I purchased a batch of like three thousand that I realized was wrong and bad and I just, I thought, oh my God, how I spent all this money doing this. Mm -hmm. And then I got picked up by Good Morning America for a fourth time. And that led me to, all right, I got to redevelop this and just suck it up and then forward the costs onto this. So I had to learn to like adapt quickly with that, you know, engage with the manufacturers, which then led me to the next part. And I'll just stay with me on this long thing. And I, can what did do. you
0: just to like break it down for the audience listening. So what did you get picked up by good America for? Was it for the 3000 masks that you ordered? That was a failure.
1: No, they just wanted the brand as a whole. Oh, okay, And gotcha. I wanted to clear all this product. And so I, I, worked with the manufacturer. I, I read the batch and everything and coming to get it in, in time. And I ended up getting, you know, the end of the show, it was a success. It was so stressful. The batch came in the day before they require that you ship out within 24 to 48 hours. And you're you're getting more orders, you know, that day than you do the I did the yeah. whole year. It's just madness. It's volume that you c- c- can't pay for, and and so I was operating at that level. And this is the inflection point that I was trying to get at is that I was doing all this. I figured that out. It's exciting. I'm adapting. I'm flexible. I'm making good money, but I I hated doing that. Like I was so behind the scenes, and mm-hmm. I felt like I wasn't growing as an entrepreneur and a founder. And I'm on national television with my brand and just in front of all the cool things. I was listed John Tory Johnson's top products for the year. And I still just felt like what I was doing, just it was not impactful and it wasn't for me long-term. And it was so hard to that come to that realization. And if I didn't have that instance of, hey, I know I'm operating here, but still not fulfilled, then I wouldn't have pursued the coaching side, which where I am now.
0: It's the the irony of conversation. Every time I walk in here, I literally just had this conversation with my mentor not even two hours ago. And how did you know that it wasn't fulfilling for you anymore? What were the signs of just like, hey, this is not where I want to be because I think we all think being on Good Morning America and getting this praise and getting this is like, oh, this is where I want to be. And my mentor literally said, maybe what you think you want is not really what you want. And I was like, you hit the nail on the head.
1: Oh, yeah. I could, that's why I was like, you know, maybe this isn't the exact answer she's looking for. But I'm just going to try mm-hmm. and put it out there because that was I, I could t- I was so upset. I, I I was so I was almost nauseous thinking that, oh, my gosh, I worked this hard and I'm operating and I just I don't want to do it anymore. Am I mm-hmm. being a quitter? You know, and because I was I was a high level athlete my whole life. And it was, you know, if you fail, if you do something. That's not an option. You train harder. You push harder. You, yeah. you know, you yep. you of like, yeah. and and so I thought, oh my gosh, I'm being a quitter. I'm a failure. That's all I kept telling myself. And it was, you know, I opened up little bits of coaching on the side, but I had founders begging me. And I just thought, okay, well, you know, it's easy for me, so maybe i'll I'll try it out. Yeah. And then when I allowed myself to just do that on the side, mm-hmm. as in, you know, because one meeting felt made me feel good and another one, it was people was taking were taking this. Advice that I had just from my experiences, I didn't it was I didn't feel like it was anything special. Yeah. But the impact of that was this kind of grain that just grew and I just had so much more, I guess, excitement around it. And mm-hmm. my husband, it was so funny, I'll never forget this. He looked at me one day when I finally admitted I wasn't happy and he saw the money that I was making from coaching while still providing an impact and he goes you take the inventory and you burn it out back and you just coach like screw the screw just screw uh, the company as a whole and i was like oh i can't do that i worked on this company for over 5 years 6 years i'm not just going to throw it away you know like i still i'm doing really well with the company so why would i just do that and he's like you have no idea the impact that you're having on these founders and it took someone else to mm-hmm. like you know have me realize that that's really where the impact was but it took failed inventory Operating at the highest level that yeah. I thought, to then go back down to hey, I could start something new, which was also scary.
0: How did you know that your skill set was in what's now power to pitch and in the coaching to founders?
1: Yeah, so it started small. It, it I didn't. It's a course in community now, but where it started was just one offs, and I realized that founders kept asking for more time, and I was. Getting paid by I was had hourly rates mm-hmm. and they were asking for more and more and then they were winning money not only in grants but they were getting they were raising a lot of money and I thought okay if they're taking this advice and they're converting it like that maybe this could be something yeah. so it was they essentially told me that it didn't come from me thinking you know oh they they went off they paid and then they're happy it was it led to another level of impact for them. And they would then refer founders and people to me to help their friends.
0: So you're like, okay, I'm on to something. And this is where, what do you think you do differently in, or what skill sets do you think you have that make it so translatable to them in something that lands and they can turn around and execute at that level?
1: I would say it's, you know, and I'm not perfect by any means, but I I knew that when I was concise and I led with my story and I was clear and I put together an action plan that it immediately converted. And so when I gave founders this plan and shared experience of, hey, I failed in this way because, you know, you can, there's so many accelerators and programs out there and they all have all these different mentors and advisors that give you conflicting advice because they're not all on the same page or they're volunteering their time. I see, hundreds of founders now that come to me saying this and they don't know who to trust because oh they never personally went through that experience or they have never even helped someone do x y and z thing that they're going after so yeah you know you're grateful that someone's willing to spend time with you but it's actually not worthwhile doing yeah. it so it was okay I know I could do these things in a concise clear way I I have the experience I've already helped founders raise money so if I can build this out and then have, you know, in a more scalable way where it's not just one-off for me, Mm -hmm. then that's where I think I can deliver on impact.
0: We're speaking the same language because my day job is now kind of combining with this. So it's always funny how this stuff works. And when you're new into the startup world, there's just a lot that you don't know. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges as an entrepreneur is you entrepreneurs I think kind of flock together like I've felt very supported by most of them and I felt like their opinions and the advice that they give is very honest because it's coming from a place of like I've been there I've messed up I know how it feels to be crying because you wasted this much money you wasted 10 hours like we all kind of can resonate with that but there's also a lot of coaching platforms or a lot of courses and you take them and then you get out of it and you're like, well, there was, nothing, there was nothing of value here. And I just felt like I spent all this money and now I'm here with no skills, no advice, and I'm really back at square one. So I think it's interesting that you're doing this in a very executable way. Do you work mostly with people who are trying to raise funding or are you still in that like idea stage founder?
1: No. So we... We're very specific and niche on the criteria now. Okay, and we work with pre-seed to seed stage. Okay, we're industry agnostic. But they must have some sort of a validated MVP. So they can be pre-revenue, but if they have a certain number of emails, uh, any pre-sales, have they talked to a certain amount of strategic partners? Do they have any LOIs in place? Have they built out somewhat of the platform or tested it to then now? Hey, we validated. We need funds to actually build, you know, the beta or whatever it is. When they're in, that's our sweet spot because we know how to execute on the communication for someone who wants to overshare and they're super excited, but yeah. they want to throw all the things at the investor and they don't understand how to get them what they want or they treat the investor as a customer when that's one of the worst things that you can do because you could still get investment even if they're not a direct, you know, daily type of customer. Yeah. So we, we go through investor psychology, relationship management, pitch formats, deck. Potential Q and A. We give them due diligence checklist, and we run through. Once we approve all their documents, we actually make direct introductions to investors in their industry. So we've created a vetted and curated founder, and then you know we've helped them raise over six million in grants and venture capital within you know I've we my business hasn't been you know technically the course community is less than a year old, and so. We're, we've worked with founders once we get them focused, instead of all this noise, or, oh, they want to send a 55-page deck. It's like, no, <laughs> that is so unnecessary. Yeah. Here, just check these boxes. And this is where it's going to get you to that next level because we want to give them that foundation mm-hmm. and that communication to be able to get to Series A and beyond. And, you know, we we work with a lot of underrepresented founders as well because, you know, less than 2%, or around 2% ever get venture capital and then only 2% of women ever reach a million dollars and that is just so backwards. Yeah. Yeah, and so it's not just women that we work with but we see, I have so many war stories of the crazy stuff that investors tell women in these underrepresented founders. It's, you know, hey, you shouldn't have another baby. You want to raise another round? You you don't get pregnant again. Oh, like the stuff, the lines that I have or they'll only comment on their outfits Uh. in... All of those things. So we work with a lot of women-specific funds that are awesome. And you know we, we really try and help that underrepresented founder group or those who came in and are immigrants and they don't have maybe the natural network or mm-hmm. they don't even have maybe some of the social cues that we do yeah. or are lucky enough to have. So we also work on the psyche of a lot of those things.
0: What's the single, I know this is a tough question, but what's the single greatest fa- factor that makes someone get professional
1: funding? That's an easy answer. Okay. They're coachable. Oh. So I interviewed over 100 VCs on the top four traits that they screen for. It's coachability, grit, passion, and integrity. So gritty is, hey, are you? if you have to pivot, like, is my money still going to be safe? You're going to get me a return? Passion, if you're not excited, how do you expect me to be excited? True. The coachability, hey, if I'm going to give you advice and I know something's not working because I have experience or a network around this and you don't adapt game over. And then integrity, if you're lying during the process or you're trying to fudge answers or spin it or you're not sending me the right documents, you're trying to hide things, or you're saying you have a potential lead but you don't, game over. So I know that was that's four, wow. but number 1, number 1 is coachability because you know, that's something that's hard to teach of mm-hmm. someone being open to change or telling them that their baby, aka their business is ugly. And hey, hey, here's thing. Here's how to fix it. Not everyone has the right answers for you, but you know, there's good and bad investors and there's good and bad founders.
0: The biggest challenge is how to know who to take advice from. What would you tell someone that's struggling with a lot of different opinions and how to know what to take action on and then what to stay true to your gut and to your core on?
1: That's an awesome question. And <laughs> we recommend, we have so many founders come to us struggling with this. And we tell them that, you have to it's your intuition as simple as that seems as yeah. you know deep down what that is you mm-hmm. want to take certain things but you have to learn to hone in on your gut more than anything and then second piece of that is i would say that you you have to almost you have to narrow your network yeah. i when i was starting i was like oh, i'm gonna get a mentor for manufacturing i have a mentor for financials i've met i had so many mentors that i was just taking these meetings just to take them And I was draining myself and not actually working on the business. Yes. So narrow the amount of mentors you have and you'll figure out and you get to kind of pick who's really on your side, who cares, who's got, who's stronger. And another piece is you can outgrow mentors. People don't realize that. Just like you
0: outgrow any other relationship. I think you hit the nail on the head.
1: And friends too. Like I transition out of certain friends. We don't have the same goals and you know, that's fine. That's just part of life. And it's hard to come to that realization, but if you can if you actively work on those few things you'll realize, you know, which people are are close and good and that you want to keep up with on a, you know, biweekly, monthly, quarterly basis and I even so I had a I was assigned a mentor in this one fellowship that I had who told me that I I should go get a corporate job. That I I had such great speaking skills and I had all this knowledge and that just what I was working on it just you could do better and wow it was see you never yeah (laughs) no literally i was like thank you so much for your time but it's we i hope we never talk again (laughs) and it just i genuinely i have so many stories of people saying that kind of stuff and you want to think oh you know they're they have my best interest at heart and i know he meant well but yeah no thank you
0: (laughs) yeah No, thank you. But no, thank you. It's hard to filter through. And I think with age comes wisdom. And like my mentor just has taught me a lot. And everything he says, he like speaks into my forefront because he'll tell me these things. And then however long, six, three, six months later, it happens. And I'm like, oh, shit and then I know to catch myself but I'm like without him I definitely would have made a lot more mistakes and I think that's the value in mentors is they save you so much time and it's just knowing who to listen to and I think who to listen to is exactly what you said you're like a gut feeling like does this person do they feel like they have my best intention or are they trying to sell me something and I think a lot of that kind of comes down to ego and I think men naturally have ego and I have a lot of uh, male Mentors, but you can just tell if they're like, "Oh, you can't do it," and it's just because they want to be better than you, or if they're like, "Hey, this is coming from a genuine place. Like, this is not going to work because of X, Y, and Z, but you should do this instead." And I think that's how I know for myself. I've kind of weeded out some of those naysayers, if you will.
1: And and the other side of the coin of in terms of figuring, you know, kind of trusting your gut is. We vet every single founder who comes into our program. It doesn't matter how much you pay us. If we can't, we, if we don't think that you're coachable mm-hmm. and you're those honestly those four things and you're willing to learn and accept change and be collaborative, then you're not a fit for us. And we will gladly give you some resources. We're you're, you just we're gonna not, we're gonna hate each other, mm-hmm. and the outcome isn't gonna be there. Like you're a reflection of us essentially when you're putting all these things together. When we make introductions, right? We exactly. want you to work hard and we know our investors look for those things as well. And we're giving you the inside scoop and all the secrets of what they're exactly looking for. Hey, what's their average check size? What do they want to see in a founder? How big of a team should you have? Do they like solo founders or do they like multiple co-founders? Like we are that granular in terms of detail. And we'll have people just tell us, oh, no, no, I, I my pitch is great. I, I just am looking for your introductions. And we, we just tell them, we said, that's not a part of our process. We haven't met a pitch that we couldn't fix. Exactly. Never in my life. Have I, you know, and it just, it's because it's an evolution as well. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Always improvements that could be made. And if you're not willing to go through that, it doesn't matter how much you pay us. Like that's, that's not our process. What's the biggest mistake that a founder makes that leads to
0: the downfall of their company?
1: So many. It's funny. I just recorded a YouTube video on this today at Power to Pitch, but one of the top mistakes is oversharing. Ooh, got to work on that one. I'm just kidding. I, <laughs> I mean, fun. hey, we're all guilty of it, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, but when you get into an investor meeting, you'd be surprised how many investors say, "Oh, well, founder never asked me a question. They just talk about themselves. Mm-hmm. They overshare, they want more time than they should. And they don't know how to concisely answer things, whether it's in Q&A or even with their pitch, they want to share, you know, oh, just these couple more slides, these couple more slides. I swear it's going to do this, this and this. And you're like, whoa, slow down. Let's build a yeah. relationship. I've never met you before. Like, you know, oversharing is the most common thing that we see. Mm. So we—that's what in terms of pitch preparation and Q and A and all that—it is rehearsed. It is practiced. It is so methodical because that's a big make or break.
0: Did you build your first company on your own? Correct, or did you? Yeah. Have
1: a- mm-hmm. I, I built the first company on my own. I made all the all the mistakes in the book. Yeah. And I, you know, then started Power to Pitch kind of, again, second time accidental. It was just a need. Founders wanted help. So I did that on my own as well. But I'm very proud to say that, you know, in Power to Pitch, I actually, I wasn't looking for a partner. Yeah. But it was funny. I was helping this founder with a pitch and she said, you know what? You need to just meet my lead investor. I think you guys will hit it off. And I said, okay. She said, I don't know what it's gonna ha- what's going to happen. Just just chat with her. I said, okay. So we chatted. She's had an active job, really well-paying job. She's in banking for 25 years, managed 10 billion of commercial real estate, has her own patent on the process, smart woman and is an active angel in 16 plus companies. And we could just talk about the same things and pitching and the mistakes we see with founders because she's getting deal flow all the time. And she started to send me founders. And then all of a sudden was like, you know, Kat, I'm not happy in my job and I love, I have the same mission as you. Can, I want to figure out how to work together. And I said, all right. And we started, we just share the same brain and mission to help founders get funded faster. And so she gets to bring the investor perspective to the program and I have the founder storytelling perspective.
0: What's the hardest part about going from a a founder yourself to a
1: co-founder? I don't have to do everything. Yeah, And that actually, that was in my first company. I took forever to hire people because I thought, oh, if it's just going to take me, you know, writing up my email newsletters or you know, updating my backend and all my different marketplaces and stuff. If I could do it instead of paying someone 25 or $40 an hour, I'll just do it. I'll suck yeah. it up. When At the end of the day, I actually should have been doing the way more impactful tasks that I were actually bringing more money. And I, I read this, it was, it, no, I didn't read it, from a, a mentor of mine said, if you can pay someone $40 an hour to do your basic tasks, do it. Mm-hmm. You're worth more in the end and doing the bigger impactful things. So, you know, being able to pass off tasks or admit to, hey, I'm actually not as good as it does hire someone for this, was something that took me a, too long to realize.
0: What advice would you give someone that maybe feels they're in that spot on, I think it's a mindset switch of like letting go of control.
1: What would you tell someone? So what I did was I had a spreadsheet and every day I wrote down and it was it was a little bit tedious, but it was so worth it in the end. I used a, you can use a free time tracker online and I would every task and whatever I did throughout the entire day, I logged from whether it took me two minutes or an hour and seven minutes, I logged the exact time frame in the task and then I would label it if I really liked it, if I hated it and if I should be doing this or if I should hire someone for it. Mm. and I saw the accumulation I was like oh my god I'm spending 10 hours a week just doing basic email stuff and I hate doing it and there's some really great designers I could find on Upwork you know Mm -hmm. wow I didn't realize that that was such a time suck if I spend 10 hours going after new customers and suppliers oh my gosh I would have you know I would 10x that time yeah and so it's literally writing down the little granular tasks and the time sucks and time blocking and prioritizing changed my life. I
0: love that response. Although I'm not as detail-oriented I as use, so maybe this is something that I can learn. I'm bringing it back to the co-founder. What's the biggest challenge of having a co-founder?
1: Biggest challenge of co-founder is just um, letting go of certain things. Yeah. And it's, you know, oh, I'm so used to doing this and having my hand in everything that I know I can trust her for certain things, but also I'd never met her before. So I'm like, oh my gosh, what can I trust? What should she have yeah. access to? You know, and starting slow. And she hasn't given a, me a second of doubt or regret in any yeah. sense. So it was mutual. You know, she'd never, she was admitted, you know, hey, I'd, I've i only helped support companies. I haven't actually, you know, run, run much, mm-hmm. you know. And, and so it was it was difficult trying to figure out, hey, what's that balance going to be like? But I allowed it to be a slow process, and we trusted each other in that mm-hmm. sense, and worked on getting trust in each other. Um, yeah, so difficult. It was just, wait, what's our role? Is like, how much communicate? Yeah. Like, what's that balance and that line look like?
0: How did you know that it was right to be or to have a co-founder? I mean, obviously, you just explained when you all met and what you felt was right in that moment, but you see a lot of. I mean, even for me with this podcast, like I started with someone disaster. And so I kind of have like this fear of like, even if I wanted to partner with someone like it's still you just don't know, especially when you don't know them personally. So how did you know that it was right? And what would you guide someone on maybe looking out for if they do want a co-founder or want to pursue that route?
1: That's a really great question. And there's there's no single answer. We, yeah. have, we see founders struggle with this at, you know, whether they're making $1,000 or $10 million, there's still a lot of different issues that go on. But it's, you have to have clear goals and expectations and metrics that each of you are responsible for and that you share. And when, you know, we set up a weekly team meeting, we didn't used to do that at first, but it's like, all right, we're going to come to the table. We're going to talk about, hey, how we're growing, what's working, what's mm-hmm. not working, and making sure that you're collaborative and not letting anything that's aggravating you go under the rug. It was like, hey, this didn't work, or you should follow up like this, or hey, if it makes it easier for me if you do this, can we do that and operate in that way? And having a because if, if someone's gonna fight that or think they could just handle it and do it without you, no way. Yeah. Like I like to tell founders too, and this also happens with the co founders, you're giving up equity in any instance. It's a marriage. Yeah. It is an absolute marriage to give up equity. Yeah. And it's funny that more equity, you know, founder relationships last longer than most marriages, which is really funny statistic.
0: I saw, I'm a, I'm one of those, I'm single, but I'm one of those people that I'm like, I've always said I would want to start a business. And I, there is like some sort of guidance or I, it's maybe on TikTok, but it was basically saying that people who start a business together are like 30% more likely to stay married or like something along those lines. Cause there's a shared passion
1: I'm like, see, I'm not crazy. My mentor's like, don't do it. It's going to be terrible. I was going to say, I think my (laughs) husband and I would kill each other. And so I was... Is he entrepreneurial or no? So what I was about to say is that I thought I idol Sarah Blakely started the product thing going door to door. I was like, oh my God, I'm so gritty like her. I just total fangirl. Some girls, you know, fangirl about like music and certain artists. I am Sarah Blakely's biggest fan. And I... I thought, you know, hey, she got married at 40, got to focus on the business, had no, none of these different distractions and all these things. So I'm going to be like Sarah Blakely and I'm not, I wouldn't go on dates. Oh, wow. Wow, wow, This is literally me. <laughs> <You are> me. <laughs> this is so awesome. So I was like, I'm not going to party. I'm not going to go on dates. I'm going to be super focused on my business and there are going to be no other excuses. I would skip out on family things. I made a lot of sacrifices, which my parents started to complain about and things. And <laughs> and all of a sudden I get invited to this ugly Christmas sweater party for and I didn't want to wear I was like it's a Friday night my girlfriend said you need to socialize and I said okay and I had actually had two girlfriends who finally convinced me I really didn't want to go cuz I didn't know anyone there and he was wearing a damn elf sweater and we met went on the date a date the next day and we've been together ever since and we talked about business that night he started a company in college he his mom had a store that well and I thought me I'm like oh my god his mom's got a store so I'm gonna only talk to him to get my products in her store this is <laughs> this business is no honest this to god this is me I'm like <laughs> no this is literally him. me
0: spiders like it sounds like Aaron I am not kidding I it, verbatim like not allowed dating till I'm 25 and making six figures yep keep going
1: yeah. <laughs> no. So all I had to say was, I'm, I'm just, I'm just here, and I'm gonna get my products in their store, and I'm giving him the pitch. And my girlfriend walks by. She's rolling her eyes. She goes, "Of course you would be in a business meeting now that we're at a freaking house party. What is wrong with you?" And we're laughing and laughing, but we just talked about the different trials and tribulations and all these things. And his mom's got the store. She would love my product. And I'm, you know, my eyes are just like, you know, dollar sign. She's going to carry my product. (laughs) Yeah. No, I was like, screw the marriage. Like I'm going to be in this, her mom, his mom's store. And it was so funny. And he just, he loved the way that I talked about business and just had my own company and still dealt with the struggles and the naysayers. And I think, you know, that was it. And he was just very, he, He respected so much of the business. So I actually, before I got even met him, I dated this guy who used to roll his eyes when we'd go out to hang out with friends because they'd ask what I did. And I'm an entrepreneur. I pitch, so I'm excited to tell people what I do. He would roll his eyes. He'd be like, oh, she's going to do this thing again. And one of his guy friends was like, man, no, this is so cool. I want to learn about it. And I remember that moment so vividly And it didn't register that he was totally not right for me until I went to a pitch competition and I won. And I was the only woman pitching. And he goes, you only won because you were a girl. Oh, toodles. And he wasn't, it was like, why is that? This is, this does not make any sense. And it's the total opposite with him. We went to an expo. He said he'd help set up. He all of a sudden, people were walking by. He started pitching them my pitch because he'd heard it so many times. And he's literally selling for me. And bringing people into the booth. And he was so excited and thought it was the coolest thing. And I just thought, yep, this is it. And I didn't want it, but it was it. See,
0: I, I wonder if hope. he has any friends. And no, I I told myself this year because I am very similar to you. But what I realized was that you can do all of this stuff. And this kind of ties back to the beginning of your episode, but you can still feel empty. And my mentor basically was like, you're going to be 40 years old. You're going to have a multimillion dollar business. You're going to be sitting on a big house and you're going to be lonely. And I always knew that I wanted to get married and I always knew I wanted to have kids. My parents didn't get married till they were older. And so I always kind of knew like I had time. I had time. And it wasn't until this past year that I was like, you have got, I lost my job. And I was like, this is my final fucking straw with the corporate world. Like I want to do my own business. I want to be in control of my destiny. Like I am full... Diving heads in into entrepreneurship like I felt like this was the calling the podcast was kind of a step like things were just rolling And I was like I need to be more open-minded because I I'm like I was to the point like where I wouldn't even go on a date I mean, obviously like you met him and i've
1: never met someone and like I was forced to meet him
0: Exactly like that. I i'm trying <laughs> i'm like opening myself up I'm, like very spiritual, but i'm like I needed to just Open myself up to the idea because I was absolutely it was not happening Like I hadn't i've never dated someone seriously before commitment, we're working on it, but I was just like, there's no way. And to your point, like entrepreneurship, it's just a mindset. And I think I knew I needed to be with someone that thought like that because it can be annoying. And like I have had friends that are like, you don't shut up about the podcast or like you don't stop about this. And I'm like, because I get so obsessed with it because I'm a very it's passionate. my life. Exactly. It is your life and it's something that you love and it's hard not to share about it. Like when I get ideas, I'm like, oh my gosh. And I call my mentor. He's like, oh God, here goes two hours of my time. But he gets it because he's been there. And so it's like once you find those people, you just you just fuck together because it's hard. Well,
1: and if I could add to that too where I was back to back and I I felt guilty doing fun things yeah because all I could think about was oh I I could have been using this time to do this for my business and this <laughs> I literally just said that yeah the other day <laughs> the opportunity cost of going on me. a date literally literally, <laughs> literally exactly me I'm like I would rather you know yeah. eat this while I'm on the computer with these ideas but to that point until I was just so unfortunate in love with this boy yeah. who I was like regretting because I'm like, it's distracting me, blah, yeah. blah, but my mental health was so different. Yeah. And I thought, you know, sacrificing all these things was going to be good. But when I took, and I took those forced breaks to hang out with him and do little things, I was so much more motivated and mm-hmm. refreshed to run the business. So it helped me in that sense that I wasn't, I wasn't taking my own breaks, lunch break. What? Like what? at night I'm, t- I'm not tired so i'm just gonna suck it up and i'm gonna finish this thing so i don't have to do it tomorrow so i can do something else And it was always yeah. always put something on my plate and i still do and it's still you know hard to turn off as an entrepreneur yeah. sometimes but he he mentally was there for me in that or if i had i was struggling with something and i need to talk out loud or you mm-hmm. know i had this idea where i was a solo founder for the first company it was me, myself, and I in my brain just fighting each other, you know, on what the heck to do. It's constant. It's yeah. nonstop. like a non-stop. Yeah. I can't physically turn my craziness of ideas <laughs> off to the point where I sleep with Post-it notes and a pen next to my bed. So that's also another story. But, you, you know. It might be
0: a one level above me of crazy. Yeah. <laughs> just or two
1: or yeah. three. <laughs> I admit it. But, you know, I always tell, I'm like, you have to be crazy to be an entrepreneur. And the yeah. fact that he understood that and could help me, you know, break down these certain things and supported me. You know, it was it was super powerful. And after I sold the company, even though I wanted to do the coaching on the side, I still was like, hey, I need I never had someone telling me what to do. I never had a corporate job. I don't know, you know, I'm what how to structure this. I'm still, you know, want to get beyond just the me and the one offs. And I was offered a job to run a pitch program. And when I countered their job offer, because I knew what I was bringing to the table, they said, oh, you can maybe make that in a few years. And to me, I was like, "That doesn't sit right. A few years. That's what I'm going to do in a few years. That's a long time. Yeah. And I looked at him and I said, "You know, what if just for a month or three months, let me figure this out. And if I don't like it and i and I don't know what I'm doing, I will happily go get another job. But I really think I have something here, and I love the coaching and I have a little bit of traction. I don't know what I'm doing, but I have a little bit mm-hmm. What do you think?" And it was, it was great insurance benefits. And he kind of looked at me like, oh my God, not again. And he was like, you're crazy, but do it. Like absolutely do it. Hey, let's structure this. You know, you should get testimonies from those people that did this and this. And he was so gung ho yeah. about it that it made me excited and feel this level. of You know, he it brought back confidence in myself that I didn't even have at the time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, don't get a boyfriend, just do those things. But I allowed myself to have fun and, Do that because it only it made me better. So if someone these if a guy's not gonna make you better, then keep solo, go solo for sure. There's two parts
0: I want to go, but the first one I kind of want to touch on is how have you found balance as an entrepreneur? I think it's there's no such thing as balance. I'm gonna agree with uh, Gary (laughs) V there, but how do you kind of go through the ebb and flows of? And this kind of ties into patient of like patience when to hit the gas pedal and when to maybe. Take off a little bit because now you're not being productive because you've overworked yourself.
1: I'm really bad at this. I'm not even going to lie. Okay. I personally am so horrible at this. I think just because I can't turn it off, I feel guilty for turning it off sometimes. But what I've realized is that, you know, I'm so lucky that I get to be self employed. So I can technically work whenever I want. Mm -hmm. And whether that's, hey, I get to wake up, I want to do a workout at 10 a.m. and actually only start working at one. I can technically do that whenever. Cause I manage I my calendar is set to the hours that I want to work and when I send my link out and, and stuff. But I realize that if I'm I'm on a like total work mode and I'm just having levels of genius and I'm sitting at my computer and I don't need to be distracted. I don't need another cup of coffee. I'm just sitting there like grinding out these ideas or work or whatever it might be or mm-hmm. working on a pitch with a founder, like I gotta ride that wave. And then if I you know, come back the next day and I'm so mentally drained and I'm making errors or I'm not excited or energized, I have to force myself to break. Yeah, Like I I don't give myself set, technically set hours. I do have kind of set hours, but I'm not so, so strict on them because I know if I give myself a break in a few hours or even tomorrow, the quality of work is going to 100x what my current situation and feeling is. Mm -hmm. So to honor that, and then Trello is my best friend and lifesaver. So I, it's kind of like a Notion, if you ever heard of Oh, yeah, of so we use Notion. Yeah, I, I struggle to organize Notion the way that I liked it. So I found that in Trello, I have my days of the week, you know, Monday through Friday and then a tab-labeled weekend, because sometimes I do stuff on the weekends, is, me. you know, nice. but I, I order what I need to do in, in I, I list things in order of priority. So mm. I'm not going to go to number two or three unless I've done one. and It's maybe the most annoying thing or whatever it is. But that is the absolute first thing I'm doing before I move on with my day. And that helps me realize, hey, these are actually like, you know, if you think about that analogy, I don't know if you ever heard where it's you have that jar and you have the rocks and you have the pebbles and the sand and the rocks are the big things. The pebbles maybe fall through and the sand is at the bottom. It's, it's the little stuff.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's maybe not. You, not a right now in this moment, your life's not going to be over if you don't do it. And I had to get better with, hey, if these, if it's 6 p.m. and we want to just have a nice dinner together, instead of me trying to truck through these little things, can I move them over tomorrow because I did the most important things today? Exactly, yeah. Yes. So am I technically turned off? No. But recognizing my levels of exhaust mm-hmm. and doing that kind of ebb and flow, I'm a way better founder. I
0: don't, I I forget who told me this, but it was like, write down all the things that you have to do of like levels of importance. And mine, I mean, my job's revenue generating. So like anytime I come to my boss, like I haven't done a bunch of little things. I'm like, I did revenue generating stuff. So like I emailed clients, I responded to that. Like if it's client facing, it's done for like the podcast. Like if it's booking interviews, it's communication. Like that's done the prep for the podcast, everything else comes secondary. And I think that was huge for me on priority because you have this list and you think you need to do everything. And it's like a lot of things don't need done right now. You just need to do the things that are most important. And my my mentor always told me do one thing every day to get you closer to your goal. And it's like the biggest action item, whether that's revenue, whether that's pitching something, like whatever that is. And that was huge switch for me because I'm like, thank you. And the corporate world teaches you that there's a lot you're doing so much, but what are you actually doing? Like, are you actually moving the needle or are you sending emails and you're just fiddle farting around and now you're on 17 meetings and you really needed zero meetings? And so I think that was huge for me because I was kind of trained that way and I I'm very direct. So I never understood like, why am I on this hour meeting? This made no I just waste an hour of my life. So I think it's good for people to recognize, like, hey, these are the things that I need to do now to get me where I want to go. And then you're not burning yourself out. Because that's also something that I'm working on. I think every entrepreneur... Yeah, every...
1: Working. No, literally still me. I'm a exited and second time founder, like still working on it, you know? Yeah. And if one thing that I would add to that too is in terms of figuring out the balance is, okay, so for example, like revenue and some of the basics, I plan the year out. Hey, what do I want to do within this year? What are my current... Obviously, these things can change and yeah. they projections, but what do I really want to do? And then I work backwards. Mm -hmm. So by month, if I actually want to talk to X amount of founders, or I want to help founders raise X amount, or I, and I want to make X amount and I want to update our courses. I, okay, if I have to do this and this is my close percent, I'm going to talk to X amount of people per month, per week, per day, and get granular, granular Mm -hmm. work. Working backwards was so huge because I would see I have it on a board in front of me these are my year goals so I see it every morning Mm -hmm. and it's like did I do things today to make sure I matched up with that are we still messing around or we focused and I stare at it every day I love this it's part of the crazy
0: yeah (laughs) well I also think it's just like reverse engineering it I do this with the podcast when people ask for advice like how do you conduct such a good interview I'm like what's your outcome And then just reverse engineer it from there. So like, what are questions that you can give? How can you leave a little bit of room for, Not like how can you leave room in there for movement? Like how can you let the person kind of give more in certain situations and not be so stuck in a plan? I think it's kind of the same thing in business. We can be very rigid, like we have this goal and things are gonna move and shift. And it's like, okay, can you kind of go with the waves here and ride the high ones and then ride the low ones and then know where to kind of draw that middle line of like, okay this is where I need to be. And that's how I've like advice that I've gotten that has really landed because it's easy to ride the highs and then it's really easy to get caught in the lows. So it's like, okay, we got to be even.
1: Oh, talking about lows. So I posted LinkedIn has been my top platform accidentally. And I, I posted this and I didn't realize it would go viral that, you know, I started doing this in my first company and still carried over my second company because the highs are high and the lows are low. Uh, Yeah. And I, if I would get a nice message from a customer or I reached a certain milestone or I did something, I had a little win or a big win, I would screenshot it and I would put it and just move it to an album in my phone that was labeled work motivation. Oh, okay. so too. when I was having a horrible day or thinking that I'm a piece of crap and I was worthless and I was horrible self-talk in the first company, yeah. so I'm like, I'm not enough, you know? Yeah. I would go and I would just, I would read it. I would sit down and I would go through all of those until I felt, and and it reminded me until I felt good because it reminded me that, hey, look at all, you're forgetting all the amazing things that you've done and you work so hard for. So don't forget that. And I still do it with this company. Random messages from people, a founder saying they raise, like one founder they never pitched in their entire life and we helped them win an $85,000 grant so they can push back their actual fundraising to order a batch of inventory so that they have better terms for their later round. And their message to us was so simple, but so impactful. And I said, I never want to forget that. Yeah. So I screenshot it and I put it in my work motivation album. And when I totally feel like shit, I go back to it and I just read it. And then it helped. It totally helps. It's amazing the but, the psychological things <laughs> that it does, you know, because I think most founders are really hard on themselves too. They want expectations through the to the moon and unicorn status and all those things. But you know, just because you don't have those, you didn't make Forbes thirty under thirty, doesn't make you a bad founder. Yeah. That's a, I just added that to my vision board yesterday. So it's funny that you said that.
0: All the all the ironies. What's I'm going to touch on your exit a little bit. I know we touched on like how you knew uh, and when you knew to sell it. What's one thing about the exit process that a lot of people don't know?
1: It is a total roller coaster. And the the broker did try to tell me this, but I was like, "This is fine. I can pinch my own pitch my own company. I got all the docs. I did all the things." And I was under contract four times. Like I had cash buyers and then crazy things. It wasn't due to the business. It was a buyer had something go wrong. A buyer just goes to dust for no reason. One had another business that just went under and they needed the cash. And I was so mentally drained from that process and having to pitch the same things and act excited to these random people over and over and over again. That was so draining. I was so close to being like, F this. I'm just going to, I'm going to start the second company and figure it out from there because I'm so one mentor. Actually, I'll never forget this. He told me sell your company for a dollar. So you could still say that you sold it. And I thought that was so offensive. And that's when I was like, I'm still not giving up. It took quite some time. So that, that process was one. And two is you, you think you know your books, Mm -hmm. but you really don't. And you should really know your books. Like I, I brought on the wrong accountant for the oh. company, I brought in an accountant who wasn't a startup specific found or a start. Excuse me, wasn't a startup specific accountant. Mm-hmm. They didn't understand e-commerce. They just worked for my mom's bridal store, and I thought, hey, this is great. I know this person; they're going to help. They said they can help. I was supposed to be—I I can't remember now. This tells you how much I learned. This is why I pay people to help me with this. Is I was supposed to be on a cash basis or accrual basis, one or the other, and I was on the wrong one. So for five years of my books, I had to go back. I think it was just three years that they needed really was I had to go back and update the mashing with the inventory and the revenue per month because she she did it as a whole at the end of the year instead of each month and the buyers were like well what the hell what what's each month and I just wanted to pass them a spreadsheet and then I wanted to die inside it was yeah so a startup specific accountant is crucial
0: (laughs) how did you know that who was buying it was the right person in the right time she really let go.
1: Yeah, that was for me. Honestly, I was so excited about the other company that I, I knew I was ready. And this was my baby. And I also I was OK with I'm not good at everything. Mm-hmm. This isn't my superpower. So I just wanted to bring on someone who knew, hey, if we're going to grow e-commerce and we're going to do this retail trade, what skills do you have to fill those? Because I got us to this point and I did a pretty damn good job of it. I have this foundation and here are my ideas moving forward. And here's some other designs that I was actually working on you know, what are your thoughts on those? And if they can give some education around that and they had a knowledge and knew where they wanted to scale and direct the company, I thought, okay, great.
0: The exit process is so interesting to me because I feel that's ever, I mean, I I literally said this to you before we got on, I'm like, I just want to sell something and kind of get it over with, but there's so much that goes into it. And I'm learning a lot just like of staying on board. So are you still... On the team, or when you sold it, you were like, This is cut and dry. I'm done and I'm moving on. Because a lot of people have to stay on board. I had one guy that sold a podcast company for a few million and he still has to work for them. And I'm like, What in the world?
1: <laughs> yeah. So I, my deal was, I knew I wanted to run this company. I knew I didn't enjoy doing those things. Yeah. So I stayed on for, I think I, in the contract was three months. Okay. That's not bad. I had to off. I had to give a certain amount of hours and offload whatever tasks. I also, what saved me a lot of time was I recorded my, how I did certain things or how much time things spent mm-hmm. and logging into things. I was super detailed on, you know, the the daily and what I, I spreadsheets, I'm super OCD. So my Google Drive was, you know, the prettiest thing you'd ever see and how wow. organized it was by folder and type and documents and whatever. So that made it easy and faster mm-hmm. in terms of the process. But, you know... If the, the buyers text me or email me and need assistance and stuff, I want the brand to succeed. I'm not going to keep from doing that. Yeah. But am I going to spend 10 hours a week with you when I don't have equity anymore to do all this work? No. So could it be paid consulting for the future? Sure. But I completely offloaded the company and that was by design because yeah. I didn't want to manage inventory and run e-commerce anymore. I learned a lot and I'm super grateful for it. But inventory is crazy. I was having before I got a warehouse. I was having tens of thousands of units shipped by semi truck to my parents' house.
0: Oh, that's gonna be. Me. And I
1: didn't have a lift gate, so they were like, "Where's your men to offload this? Where's the loading dock?" And I was like, "Me?" And I would physically per box, I'd have to rip open the pallet, and I physically took off each box of inventory in my parents' garage. It filled up one whole garage itself, and. That's that's what I, I was when I say I was nitty gritty, like I was in it. Till I got the warehouse, which was amazing, but um yeah. And thanks to my in laws as well who helped me figure out the fir- my first warehouse. That's the biggest
0: I can talk to you about this. I mean, not that a lot of people on the, on the podcast are like, not that I'm not sharing, but I like came up with an idea of like a business to start. Like I got the website, I got the name, whatever. And it's in, and my mentor goes, you do realize you're going to hate boxes after this? Cause it's like a health and wellness type subscription box. I knew I wanted to be recurring revenue. Like I knew a lot of things that I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to be in health and wellness. Um, I had an idea and I was like, I think this will stick if I execute this the right way. And I'm like, and then I was talking with a lawyer about trademarks, all the little things that you got to do for it. And he's like, where are you going to put these boxes? And I'm like, oh, and he's like, hundreds of boxes are going to be in your living room. Well, how are you going to get them? to?" Th-? Like all these little things that you don't think about. And I'm over here like, oh, I can do anything. And now my mentor is <laughs> like, so how's it going? How's it going? And I'm like, yeah, this is going to be me with just like all these boxes in a living room trying to shuffle them out and putting them in my car because it's all the stuff people don't see. But I feel like it's just so, it makes... It's so much better once you make it. Like, I'm sure once you sold that company, you're just like, wow, you can look back on five years or however long it took you to get there and be like, wow, it all came to this moment.
1: No, it's it's so weird. And it didn't hit me the first week that I was... And yeah, I had to do all the training and stuff, but bringing the inventory to the new warehouse for the buyer and literally having it dropped off to a truck to just the rest of it was so wild. It was so wild. And um funny up my husband drove the truck with me. Took off work to help bring the inventory, my last bit of inventory from our warehouse to the the one that the new buyer had. And it was like, okay, well, now I got to go work on my second idea. Yeah. And I just I didn't take a week off and enjoy, it, which I wish I did in You know, kind of thinking about it now, but I went write another thing because I was so excited and energized, and it didn't feel like work. Yeah, and it was, it was just, it was so weird. It was super weird, honestly. And when I and I look at pictures, I'm like, wow, what? I'm so glad I already got through that because I wouldn't do it again.
0: (laughs) Yeah. What's been the biggest shock to you about moving from inventory e-commerce to now doing coaching and working with
1: founders? So our course, it's done really, really well now, and. If it's bad and no one liked it or in the future there's issues or I got to make a change, Mm. I can press the delete button instead of if there's this, hey, trendy fabric that we wanted to try, I'm stuck with 10,000 pieces and I got to figure out how to offload that. Or I once had a batch of inventory, 3,000 pieces, 98% of the batch was done wrong. And they only gave me 50% of my money back. Oh, hell no. Oh, yeah. That's a whole nother story of, oh no, we will fix it, but we won the, and you got to cover the shipping because that's not in our contract. And I went through the works with that one and just caught my losses there because, you know, so transitioning, it's it's way, I can spend more time on myself and the branding yeah. versus the little details of all of this product and organizing yeah. it and the labor of it. And thankfully it wasn't something that could expire because Lord knows, I mean, the CBG founders that we work with who are in food and bev, man, I don't think I have the stomach for that. Yeah. But it was just how it was so easy yeah. to me. I'm like, this is so freeing. <laughs> I don't have to deal with, you know, take half a day off because I got to manage all the new product mm. that's coming in. Yeah. And then forecasting, okay, this is going to last a three months. So I'm at the two month mark. I'm ordering a new batch. That's going to come in 60 days. And then the air is going to take seven days. And then I'm talking with like customs for this before it comes in and but like, so it was so much in between yeah, that you now you're just like, OK, I only have.
0: The courses and working with people, but I also think the flip side of that is like working with founders. There's always challenges in every business. I think that's just working with people is probably the hardest.
1: Challenge. Yeah. People are my inventory now <laughs> Yeah, in a way. But no, it's I mean, as we curate the founders, you know, it's it's really We love who we have. We haven't had a single bad egg yet, you know, and I'm sure it'll come when the masses. But, you know, because we work so hard to kind of curate them and figure out, are we the right person to help them? And if we're not, we say we aren't because then it's going to look bad on us and we're both going to fail. So it's been a lot easier of a transition for sure.
0: What's one thing that you do differently that's made you so successful? In terms of... Whether it's a characteristic about yourself or one thing about your personality or the way you operate that you feel has made you stand out among a lot of other entrepreneurs who are trying to do what you're doing.
1: I like to think that being an athlete has made me a really good founder in terms of training, being okay to fail, Mm. working, practicing through tough times, going towards a coach who can help me and who has a better perspective on things... Being gritty and getting sweaty and dirty at times to make things happen. So I would say that you know maybe I'm not the smartest person in the room, but I will be the hardest freaking work. Per- I will be the hardest working person yeah. in that freaking room. I guarantee you, I will do whatever it takes. And it, I think it's just because I had that athlete mentality of, hey, if this course isn't launching or working, or hey, we gotta. I, we made some phase updates to our course. It's not happening. So I spent the my entire this past weekend, I spent both days, Saturday and Sunday, working on the course updates. And I had all these friends going to brunch, doing fun mm-hmm. things. But the sacrifice and like yeah. I'm going to work so hard at this is is something that, you know, I know a lot of people don't have. And yeah. I'm proud that I do that in a way. Uh, so I guess, you know, sacrifice is also paired with that. Are you willing to sacrifice nice. certain things or certain lifestyle for a better outcome down the road?
0: I think the biggest thing was sacrifice. And this is what I've taught myself is like knowing what, what to sacrifice and when, and I think there's just certain times where it's like, I can't go out because I have to do this or I need to go home early. Cause I have a lot to, and I've always kind of been that person too. And I think if you're listening to this and you resonate with that, then you know that you're willing to do the work. Did you play sports in college?
1: Yeah. So I played t- soccer when I was younger and tennis and then ended up getting a scholarship for tennis in college. Where'd you play? Grand Valley in Grand Rapids, Michigan, Grand Valley State. Okay. My
0: sister was a tennis player.
1: So is my mom. So I'm like very familiar oh, awesome. with tennis.
0: So that's, yeah, I, I did that as well. All right. A few more questions and then I'll get you out of here because this convo. I could talk to you for literally two hours. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just had a question. Oh, uh. Patience. This is one of my favorite questions to ask because I'm naturally not the most patient person and nothing bothers me more than when someone says, please be patient. As someone that's been successful and exited a company, when should someone be patient and when should someone leverage that
1: impatience to their advantage and to keep moving they need to afford? We see so many founders impatient about the pitch process. They want a quick fix. They just want to send their deck out to 100 people and see what happens. So we have to dial them back and be patient on the pitch and communication process. If you cannot get clear on what you want, you know, your story, your problem, your solution to the point where you're so concise that someone else can repeat it for you in an easy and ingestible way in that sense, then, you know, you got to go back to the drawing board. We are not, we don't look at your deck. So the patience in terms of the pitch and the communication, if you can't dial that in, don't do any of those other things. You're going to end up wasting time. So patience in terms of communication mm-hmm. and your fundraising strategy is something that all of our founders got to work on. Did you have a part two to that question?
0: Uh, also like sp- do a broadly speaking. So outside of just power to pitch, like I think as an entrepreneur as a whole, I think if you're a good one, you're naturally impatient. You want to make quick mm-hmm. decisions. Like when in your life have you needed to be patient and then when do you know okay it's time to be a little bit more impatient and like push things through
1: i would say patience in general in terms of getting results Mm -hmm. because you know you want the sales right away you want to be revenue generate you want all these things but in terms of sales and conversions and your testimony and feedback and learning that is a slow process like that's something to be patient on is the sales and the impact i would say but
0: that's the hardest
1: thing to (laughs) me that's the hardest thing yeah you i guess you have to be patient on setting up the foundation so you know what are these things that you're doing and building and learning and filling in the gaps to be able to to get there like that's the patience processes you know those boxes that you got to check beforehand
0: and then what are things what are mistakes that you see entrepreneurs make where they could be more impatient and drive more urgency? In terms of
1: a pitching process or in general? General. You can do both if you want to, but I think more high level. Uh, I think I see a lot of founders just in general too. They expect mentors, potential mentors or people to get back to them super quickly when they have these lives. And it's so crazy. The amount of people who message me and say, can I pick your brain? That makes me want to poke my eyes out. No, I do not have my message after this. Can I pick your yeah, brain? Like, no, I do not have time for you to pick my brain. That sounds disgusting, too. Like, no. That's What's not your question? Happen? Let's be yeah, more like, direct. Like, you know, if if you need my time, like, is it really? Like, am I actually going to be able to help you in this instance? I think you know, founders go too quickly in terms of they want answers from someone, and it's not always the right person to answer that question. So I wish founders would be more methodical and tactical in who they're getting answers from. Be patient in who you're going after because maybe not always the right person and you're going to waste meetings and, and stuff. It it's just cr- the messages that I get that people haven't researched me. I'm getting pitched the craziest things or being asked the craziest things that claiming to know me or whatever on LinkedIn. And it's like, you did not look at what I actually do at all. Looking back on your career,
0: what's one thing that you would tell yourself before starting this journey, the entrepreneurship journey?
1: I think the first thing that comes to mind is I, I wish I was more kind to myself. Oh, this is good. I had so much negative self-talk and feelings of not being good enough because mm-hmm. I didn't reach this metric or sale or I wanted to be look like this type of founder and have you know this level of impact within the year, but... I was still doing really amazing things and I didn't even acknowledge that. Yeah. And I would say, and what I still try and work on actively in this new company too, is just if things aren't perfect or moving at the rate and and such that, you know, how would you want it? How would you talk to a friend? How would you talk to your younger self? Would it be kind? Would you be, Mm -hmm. you know, mad or, you know, even rude to yourself internally? No, you know, it's just like, yeah, that that internal communication is so, so important because that psychologically put me in change my whole mood throughout the day, changed my conversations with people, my outlook when going after things. And I know you like to act, ask about gratitude, which I have a really great answer already for that. <laughs> is is just, you know, that the the positive self-talk and yep. that positive energy goes way further than anything else.
0: Big energy, girl. Big energy, girl. We could go, we could talk spirituality for three days and we'd still be here yeah. uh, on Friday or on the weekend. I mean, I, I would... And I think it kind of goes back to worthiness. And like when you're... It's hard. I think the hardest part about entrepreneurship is the me- mentally. Like I had this conversation at Happier. I'm like, you just keep doing things and you, you don't see results, but you just know and you trust. And like, there's just this true faith like I just know something's going to work out and if it doesn't it doesn't but it's like this blind walking through the dark and I think if you don't have that positive energy or if you just aren't telling yourself you can't you're not going to get there because it's it's hard and it's lonely and there's not a lot of people around you that are doing it and so it's really up to you to change that and that's been one of the biggest things that I've had to work on I've always kind of been like not overly confident but I feel like I've always kind of had a confidence to me but it's hard in like feeling worthy of what you're creating and what you're building. And that was a huge shift that I didn't even know in myself that I had to pivot to be like, you're worthy of any praise or any feedback that you're getting or any of that type of stuff, which I think is huge. Two more, and then I'll get you out of here. Um, Was there a point... <clears throat> In your, I mean, you kind of touched on a few, but was there one point that you look back on and you're like, this was the tipping point for everything
1: that I created after that? I would say a really big inflection point for me was then I almost did. I was literally minutes from not applying to the FedEx small business grant. I was like, 10,000 people apply a year. This is ridiculous. I'm still in college. No one this young has ever won. You know, why Why am I gonna do this? Mm-hmm. And then this other voice was like, you got this time left, just do your best, fill out the basics and go from there. It was free to apply. What the hell, why not? Yeah. And I got a call while I was driving back from tennis practice. We're so excited to inform you that you're one of the winners of the FedEx Small Business Grant Competition. And I damn near almost drove off the road <laughs> You're like, <laughs> and I had it was in the top 100. So I had to work on a second round of applications. And I'm so glad that I put so much effort into that. Yeah. And I spent time doing it and they asked me to join their entrepreneur advisory board. They flew me out to Memphis. I got to meet with their team. They said your pitch video was one of the best we've ever seen. Can we film your top pitch tips on it? They flew a team from Boston to my house to film me talking about my top pitch tips in my childhood bedroom. And that video changed my life because that's what went on. And I didn't think anything of it. Mm -hmm. It just came. I was like, oh, this is so cool. FedEx is in my house, you know, all these things. And that video led me to think founders want this advice. This is needed. This isn't just something that I'm helping here and there for. It was on a national scale, I have hundreds of founders DMing me when mm-hmm. I didn't ask them to. Yeah, I had people saying, "I will pay you to help me with this pitch. I have no idea what I'm doing or what to say." And I made up a rate because I didn't know what yeah. or how to charge. Seven thousand dollars. It's so fifty thousand dollars. I swear I'm worth it. No, <laughs> <laughs> kidding. Get <out> a loan. <laughs> yeah, kidding. Um, but no, it was you know for me that was something that I didn't realize. I took the leap of doing, didn't expect anything out of it. And I still have such a great relationship with FedEx and their team and their founders. And it absolutely changed my life.
0: The power of one more. That's Ed Milet. But it's always your like, one interview, you're one thing away from a tipping point in your life. Fill in the blank. Entrepreneurship
1: has taught me blank. That I am capable of so much more than I plan out in my planner.
0: (laughs) I was
1: just going to say of of what I thought I'm capable of, but here we go as much as I plan out. Is that even helpful? (laughs) I just, sometimes I'm like, what am I doing? How is this even possible? And then I really actually set these foundations up and I'm being patient and I'm sacrificing. And then it's like, bam, impact. And we've done all these things. I didn't even realize that it was going to be that. I didn't expect like that. Uh, that company that get that job offer, right? Yeah. So I was scared of refusing it because finally someone's gonna tell me what to do. It's a steady paycheck. I get insurance, all those fun things. <laughs> and in less than a year, I doubled what they offered me. And I almost didn't do it. I doubled it by doing things myself. Yeah. And so I wasn't expecting that. I was like, man, if I could, if I could just do a little, like, prove that I'm going to be okay at this and their entrepreneurship goes i'm Mm -hmm. i've set myself it wasn't luck by any means i worked my i still work my freaking butt off to do what i do and it's like you know i'm capable of so much more because i've allowed myself to take the risk of entrepreneurship okay this is really my last question i keep saying this and this is not (laughs) it how do you overcome
0: the fear of taking big
1: risks you can't think about it too long. You just have to do it. Mm. You literally jump off the cliff. (laughs) Like if you overthink and do, if someone told me they were like, you're going to experience all these things in entrepreneurship, I wouldn't have done it. There's not a shot in hell. There's no (laughs) way that I would have ever gone under those things, but because I just jumped and I was hoping just to learn from it and do things. And I just said, screw it. Yeah. Like let's do it. It's that's what it, that's all I have to say to that. It's literally, it's, it's not, it's scary and I'm doing it, but you just, you can't think twice about it. Yeah. In my gut, could this be something good? All right, risk it. Yeah, love that
0: answer. Where can people find you? Market yourself.
1: So I'm super active on LinkedIn. Okay. At Cat K-A-T Weaver, W-E-A-V-E-R. I post daily pitch tips. Fundraising strategy is totally my platform. And then, Just started the Power to Pitch YouTube as well. Okay. P-O-W-E-R-T-O-P-I-T-C-H. And that's also powertopitch.com. Okay. So anywhere that you look up, Power to Pitch. Got all the handles and everything there. But, you know, if you're looking to just kind of start through some things... Kat Weaver on LinkedIn. And then actually, if you're a pre-seed to seed stage founder and you want to get through a winning pitch deck and fundraising strategy, you can apply to work with us in our program. Uh, And the link is right on powertopitch.com. So it's just a few questions and it books a direct call with myself and my partner, Katie.
0: Perfect. Quick, easy sales pitch. We love it. I'm going to put all that in the show notes so you all can go check her out, follow her on Instagram. And then last question, Kat, what are you grateful for today?
1: I am so grateful for all of the mentors I've had and the mistakes that I've made. And the thing that I was saying, I was excited about your answer, your gratitude question is that I have this tiny little journal and every single morning before I start work, I bullet three things that I'm grateful for. Mm-hmm. I sometimes I'm angry. Sometimes I'm like, why the heck am I doing this? And it absolutely changes my perspective. And so I'm, gratif- I'm grateful for three new things every single day. And and it's a huge perspective change, but I would say the mentors and mistakes because I would absolutely not be here without either of them.
0: I love that answer. And I'm going to say I'm grateful for the podcast episodes. I, I mentioned this, but like I talked with my mentor and I feel like it's just, I, I'm having, I'm going through a time just with the podcast and everything going on in my life and moving and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, this is why it just takes one more podcast interview to be reminded why you do what you do. So thank you so much for being on. You were awesome.